You are listening to The Ace, Alex Cardinal Entertainment Network, with your host, the crazy Alex Cardinal from Springfield, Massachusetts. You can expect the unexpected on The Ace Network. Now, on to today's show. You are listening to The Alex Cardinelli Show here on Ace Network. The Alex Cardinelli Show is a talk show that will talk about anything and everything from WWE wrestling to movie reviews to politics to even current news and events. You will get your entertainment and news sick. Alex Cardinelli promises to deliver a quality talk show that you will enjoy. Alex will share topics you want to hear with a young man's point of view. So what do you have to say? Do you, the listener, want a piece of the action? Well, get in on the action by calling into the talk show at 1-347-989-8142. Are you ready for a fun talk show? Then let's get on to Alex Cardinelli, who is live right now at Ace Network Studios. Take it away, Alex. Live on Ace Network. The only time where Alex will break the rules as a citizen to talk about some of the most famous crimes to have ever taken place in the United States. If you love crime, then this is the time to listen to crime. Coming up right now, we will discuss crime and everything crime. Call in at 1 347 989 8142 to discuss the crime story you like or join the chat. Now it's crime time. Live in. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alex Cardinelli Show here on Ace Network. I'm your host, Alex Cardinelli, and today on the Ace Network, I'm very excited to be debuting a brand new series. I spent months preparing this series, and I'm very happy to debut it live on the Ace Network on this fine evening. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to today's show. You guys are going to enjoy it. i got a lot planned for this wonderful show. Now today, I am debuting Crime Time Hour on East Network. Now, I'm going to be talking about anything and everything crime here on the East Network's Crime Time Hour series. I am very excited for this series. Now today, I was waiting all day until this time came because I was really excited about hosting this series, and here we are with this fun show, and hopefully you guys will enjoy the Crime Time Hour live exclusively on the ACE Network. So here it is, folks, and I hope you guys like it. You know, I've been following crime since I was a kid. Growing up, I used to watch all of those crime documentaries on television, and I still do today as a 21-year-old. I love that television show, ID Discovery. I watch it all the time. And some of my favorite shows from ID Discovery would be Web of Lies, Disappeared, and all those wonderful, great 
ID Discovery shows. I actually really do like the I Almost Got Away With It show that they have on ID Discovery as well. So I figured that I would talk about my love for crime here on the Ace Network. And no, I'm not a criminal, but I like to study crime and talk about it. So my series goals for this series is to educate you on some of the famous crimes all over the world, but more specifically, I'll be focusing on the major crimes in the United States of America. I'll also talk about the minor crimes in the United States. We'll talk about some of the history of crimes. Like, for example, we'll talk about crimes from the late 1900s and things of that nature. This really is going to be a fun series, and I can guarantee you, you're all going to like this wonderful series if you're big into crime, documentaries, and things like I am. So we'll be talking about shootings, robberies, stabbings, all sorts of crimes here on Crime Time Hour, live exclusively on the ACE Network. And my goal is to try and get a few guests on this series, maybe a cop who arrested criminals or maybe a former criminal himself sometime here on the ACE Network. We'll have to find out if I can do that, and we'll have to see if I can find a guest who would be willing to come on and talk about crimes. But to get this wonderful series started, i got a fantastic show today. Today, we're going to talk about famous shootings in the United States of America. Now, one of my favorite crimes um, is shootings, and they're not a good crime. No crime is a good crime, but Shootings are ones that I really enjoy researching and learning about, so I'm really excited to uh, teach you guys today about some of the famous shootings in the United States of America. So to start the show today, I'm going to talk about some unsolved shootings from the 1900s all the way to 2015, and there's a lot of great unsolved shooting mysteries that I'm going to talk about tonight. And then after that, I'll talk about some of the solved shootings that are recent. I'll talk about the Columbine High School shooting. I'll talk about the Virginia Tech shooting. I'll talk about the Trevon Martin shooting and all the shootings in 2012 to 2015. So I got an action-packed show coming your way, and I hope that you guys enjoy this show. And, of course, if you guys have any questions or want to share your thoughts on shootings, please feel free to call in at 1-347-989-8142. That number again to call in to share your thoughts on the unsolved shootings or share your thoughts on the recent shootings is one 347-989-8142. You can even call in to discuss the shootings that I'm talking about and offer your thoughts. I really love that because I love callers, since my show is always broadcast live. So again, the number again is 1-347-989-8142. All right, so let's get this bad boy started. Let's get our first episode of Crime Time Hour underway. So we're going to start with unsolved shooting mysteries in the United States of America. So we'll start with 1900 to 1924. William Gobel, an American politician who was shot and mortally wounded on the morning of January 30th, 1900, 
by an unknown assaultant in Frankfort, Kentucky, one day before being sworn in as governor of Kentucky. The next day, Goebel was sworn in, and despite the best efforts of 18 doctors attending him, he died on the afternoon of February 3rd, 1900. Now, this is pretty cool that William Goebel remains the only state governor in the United States to die by assassination while in office. So they never actually found out who killed them. Can you imagine that? In 1900, someone can shoot a governor and not get caught. Wow, how times have changed. I mean, if that were to happen today, um, I'm pretty sure that person would have got caught like that. But back in 1900, this person got away with shooting the governor of Kentucky, and he hasn't got caught. So he died uh, killing the governor of Kentucky, never being caught. So that's pretty interesting. All right. Now down to our next unsolved case from 1900 is James Cosimo, who is who was 42 years old. He was a gangster who led a precursor to the Chicago outfit. He was shot and killed at his cafe on May 11th, 1920. No one was ever charged with the killing, but people believe that Al Capone, then one of Cosimo's Hitchman was involved in the case. He was never, uh, they never found his suspect. So this is a case that is still ongoing, but it's over 100 years almost, and they haven't even found his killer yet. Next unsolved case in the 1900s is Joseph Bone Elwell, who was 46 years old when he was killed. He was a bridge player, and he was shot and killed inside his locked house on June 11, 1920. One clearly false confection the next year was discarded, and no other suspects ever were identified. So that is very sad. Then we have the Janet Smith case. On July 26, 1924, a 22-year-old Scottish nursemaid was found dead of a gunshot wound to the temple in a home in an exclusive neighborhood of Vancouver, Canada. Although she was potentially labeled a suicide, despite much evidence to the contrary, her friends were able to get the case reopened and deemed a murder. However, they were never able to find a suspect, and they had to close the case and mark it as unsolved. So poor Janet Smith, never, her suspect never got the justice that uh, it needs. So her suspect is probably either really old or deceased now, never being reprimanded for killing a young woman. So those were the unsolved shootings from 1900 to 1924, which are uh, pretty good. Now we're going down to 1925 to 1949. And the first one I want to talk about is known as the Mill Floors Massacre. Three Detroit gangsters were shot down in the Mill Floors apartments on March 28, 1927. The killings are widely believed to have been a revenge attack by members of the Purple Gang. Two members were arrested the next day, but never charged. 
So we don't know if those people were held for the murders or not, because it's so long ago. Then we had Harry C. Beasley, 42 years old, a Medal of Honor recipient who later became a Newark, Ohio police officer, died after being shot while confronting robbers on July 2nd, 1931. No one was ever identified as a suspect. Well, that's pretty crazy because back in 1931, someone can go shoot a cop and never get identified as a suspect. So that's pretty interesting. But I'm glad to see that we progressed, and now if a people shoot a cop or a person shoots a cop, they're going to get caught instantly. So that's a really dif- difficult, unsolved case to follow. And then we have the case of Jack Legs Diamond, who was an American gangster. He was found shot to death in the Albany, New York apartment of his mistress on the morning of December 18, 1931. While he had many enemies among the underworld who wanted him dead, Donald P. O'Connell, boss of the city's political machine, claimed in an interview with author William Kennedy four decades later that he ordered the killing after Diamond ignored police warnings to stay out of city's rackets. But the case officially remains unsolved for whatever reason. Okay, now we're going down to the unsolved cases from 1950 to 1969. And we're talking about the case of Arnold Shuster, who was 24 years old when he died, a clothing salesman who had provided the tip that led to the capture of legendary bank robber Willie Sutton, was shot dead outside his Brooklyn home a month afterwards on March 8, 1952. Well, my coincidence is saying that the man he told on, Willie Sutton, has something to do with this, but the police were never able to figure that out. Police interviewed 300 people, but never identified any as a suspect, although they came to believe the killing was carried out by either the mafia or Sutton's associates. A lawsuit against the city by his family led to a landmark state court ruling that the state has a duty to protect anyone who cooperates with the police to the extent that they seek. So very, very cruel case, and I wish they found out who killed Mr. Arnold Shuster way back in 1952. Okay, our next case is for a young man by the name of John Acropolis, who was 43 years old when he died. He was a New York labor leader with organized crime connections, and he was shot by an unknown assaulter in Yonkers, on August 26, 1952, and he died, unfortunately. And they never, ever found out who his attacker was, and they never found the suspect in that case. Very unfortunate. Now, the next case in the 1950s is Mr. Jack Burris, who was 35 years old, from Mayes County, Oklahoma. He was a county attorney, and he was killed by a shotgun blast just outside his house in June of 1952. Investigators were unable to obtain a tape that perpetrated to be the killer's confession later in the decade. There have been no suspects since then. 
And then the last shooting that was unsolved in 1950 to 1969 was Clarence 13X, who was 41 years old, founder of 5% Nation, a splinter group of the Nation of Islam, was fatally shot by a group of attackers in the lobby of his wife's Harlem apartment building on the morning of June 13, 1969. One suspect was arrested two months later, but charges were dropped. New York police believe the murder was related to an extortion attempt. No other suspects have ever been named. So those are all the unsolved shootings from the 1950s to the 1960s. And they're, they're very, very tough. And then we have the late, great... 1970s, a lot of people love the 1970s for whatever reason, but that's a different story. And the first case of the 1970s was Mr. Joe Gallo, who was 43 years old. He was shot to death in a Manhattan clam house on April 7, 1972, as part of a war between New York City mafia families. I know that too damn well. Um, but Mr. Gallo died from a fight between Mafia families. The investigation identified no suspects, although Frank Sherman claimed shortly before his death, 31 years later, that he was the lone gunman. Then, another case in the 1970s. On April 20th, 1972, New York City Police Officer Philip Cardillo who was 32 years old, died in the hospital of a gunshot wound inflicted six days earlier during an incident at a Harlem mosque. Now, an officer that was watching the conflict said he saw one or two suspects standing over Cardillo's chest, but they were unable to identify the suspect who shot Mr. Cardillo, and unfortunately this case as of today, is still unsolved due to misinformation and no actual proof of a suspect, which is kind of sad. Again, um, there's another one in 1970s from Mr. Ryder, who Mr. Donald Gomes, 37 years old. He was found shot dead in his Detroit apartment along with his wife on October 21st, 1974. No suspects have ever been identified. And on June 23, 1975, the body of Bruce keeper Shirley Finn was found shot dead in a parked car in South Perth, Australia. No suspects were ever identified, but the investigation is still continuing today in 2015. That's pretty cool. And last but not least, in the 1970s, the Sumter County Does were shot to death in Sumter County, South Carolina, on August 9, 1976. Neither has ever been identified. So those are all the shootings in 1970. Now, I actually researched all this stuff, so I'm relaying my research back to you guys. It's pretty cool that you guys are going to be able to find out all of the unsolved shootings from way back in the day. 
because I say way back in the day because I was not born in 1970s, so I don't mean to assault any of our listeners who may have been born in the 1970s or earlier. Okay, in the 1980s, all the unsolved shootings from the 1980s. Poker player and historian John Holmes Jenkins was 49 years old when he was killed by a gunshot to the back of the head near Barstrap, Texas, on April 16, 1989. At first, the police investigators ruled it a suicide, but later they said the gun had been misplaced somehow, and they feel it's a um, murder, but they never, ever found a suspect. That was the only unsolved shooting case that I found in the 1980s, but I feel there are plenty more unsolved shooting cases in the 1980s. Maybe I'll uh, figure that out for another show, because I'm not just going to do one show on shootings. No, I'm going to do two or three shows on shootings, and maybe I'll find some more unsolved shooting cases in the 1980s to share with all of my wonderful listeners. Now let's fast forward to the 1990s. Some wonderful uh, cases in the 1990s. Not wonderful in the fact that people lost their lives, but there are so many unsolved shooting cases for me to share with you, unfortunately. Now, there are a lot of cases that uh, are very popular in the 1990s, but I'll skip to some of the most popular ones. And first, we have the notorious Big, or the notorious B.I.G., and he was a famous Brooklyn rapper. Yes, he had some wonderful rap music, and I actually uh, listened to some of his music. Now I listen to his music, but I didn't listen to it back then because I was just a young kid. But he had some wonderful music, but he was killed by an unknown attacker in a drive-by shooting on March 9th, 1997. Sorry about that. So the notorious B.I.G. was killed on March 9th, 1997 in Los Angeles, California. And they still haven't solved the case. This case is still unsolved. How the hell does a celebrity get killed, but you can't find a suspect? That's kind of crazy in uh, my opinion, but hopefully one day, maybe in 2017, they'll find out who the actual murderer was of the notorious B.I.G. The next case from the 1990s is Jane Thurgood Dove, who was 35 years old, and she was shot outside her car in full view of her young children. How sad is that? as she pulled into the driveway of her home in the Melbourne suburb of Nigeria on November 6, 1997. Um, but the cops never tracked down this poor young mother's suspect, and um, till this day it is still unsolved. So it is very sad that some young children way back in 1997, had to see their young mother get shot by some imbecile, in uh, my personal opinion. 
And then on March 25th, 1998, another famous person, NASCAR driver Chris Trickle, who was 24 years old, died of injuries sustained in a Las Vegas drive-by shooting on February 9th, 1997. A quirk in Nevada law at the time meant that the gunman could not be prosecuted for his murder since his death had occurred more than a year and a day after the attack, but it was subsequently changed. No suspect has ever been identified, and the case is considered cold. So poor Mr. Trickle never gets any justice for his murder, the poor NASCAR driver. And finally, Big L, a Harlem rapper, was shot multiple times in the head and chest near his Harlem home on February 15, 1999, but no one was ever identified as the killer for Mr. Big L. All right, let's talk about the 2000s unsolved shootings. Mrs. Susan Berman, 55 years old, the daughter of a prominent organized crime figure, and Berman was a successful journalist. She was found dead in her home in Los Angeles, Benedict Canyon, on December 24, 2000. The cause of death for Mrs. Susan Berman was a single execution-style gunshot to the head. They never, ever found her killer as of yet, but in 2015, following the final episode of an HBO documentary series on the crime in which, after viewing evidence that appeared to leak him more closely to the killing, Duff whispered a apparent confession into a microphone he wasn't aware was open. He was arrested in New Orleans and charged with the murder. So apparently, um, on an HBO documentary, they actually did find someone that murdered Mrs. Berman by accident because he actually uh, talked too much. So I guess Mr. Dust, whatever his name was, is um, the murderer of this case. So his name is Mr. Robert Durst, which is kind of uh, interesting. So you see, I just found out something really crazy about that. I thought that was an un unsolved case. Okay, so in 2000, we have a case, from, by the, a case for a young man by the name of Thomas E. Wales, and he was an American federal prosecutor and a gun control advocate. On October 11, 2001, just a month after the 9-11 attacks, he was killed by a bullet fired through the window of his basement home office in Seattle, Washington. No suspects were ever charged, and the investigation still continues to this day. Now, on October 30th, 2002, two gunmen went into a Queens, New York recruiting studio and shot Jason Mazil, 37 years old, a founding member of pioneering hip-hop group Run DMC, in the head at Point Blank Ridge. He sure died shortly after that. No one has ever been prosecuted for this attack. Mr. John Whitehead, 55 years old, half of the McFadden and Whitehead songwriting team, was shot fatally while fixing a car outside his Philadelphia home on May 11, 
2004. It may have been a case of mistaken identity. However, no suspects have been named as of yet, 11 years later. Brian Pata, 22 years old, a defensive lineman for the University of Miami football team, was shot dead outside his apartment on November 7, 2006. No suspects have been identified. Okay, then we have Hill and Hill, 36 years old, animator, was shot fatally during an attempted robbery of her home in the Faubourg Margany section of New Orleans on January 4, 2007. Her death was one of six murders in the city that day, which inspired a protest march demanding a safer city in the wake of the disruptions caused by Hurricane Katrina. Yada, 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 yada. No suspect has ever been identified. And finally, the the Lane Bryant shooting. On February 2nd, 2008, a gunman trying to rob a Lane Bryant store killed five women, which was a manager and four customers. The shooter has not yet been apprehended, although police do not consider it a cold case, so to speak, yet. All right, and finally, in recent years, these are the unsolved cases in recent years right now in 2010s. We have Mr. Keith Ratliff, who is 32 years old, and he is the producer of the popular YouTube Gun Enthusiast channel. FPS Russia was found dead from a gunshot wound to the head in his custom gunshot in Carnesville, Georgia, on the evening of January 3rd, 2013, about 24, year, uh, 24 hours after he last been seen alive. 24 hours, not 24 years, ladies and gentlemen. Police think they knew his killer, as none of his guns were taken nor used to kill him, and he would only have allowed an acquaintance to get close enough to him to do it. But the investigation is continuing. All right. Next, we've got police officer Jason Ellis, 35 years old. He was shot and killed while returning home from work on the Bluegrass Parkway near Bardstown, Kentucky, in early morning hours of May 25, 2013. And no suspects have been identified in this case. And last but not least, just last year, Dan Markley, 41 years old, a law professor at Florida State University, was shot as he pulled into the driveway of his Tallahassee home on July 19, 2014. He died the next day. No suspects have been identified yet, but police are investigating the possibility his death was linked to hostile commentary he had received online. And ladies and gentlemen, those are all your unsolved shootings from the 1900s to now. And I actually had to read some of that stuff, so I do apologize for that because I I hate reading things on the air. But I wanted to make sure I got everything correct and I did not miss anything. So the rest of the show is going to be just me talking about some cases. But I just wanted to make sure I gave you guys the correct information. That way you would be able to understand everything. All right, so what a great way to start this wonderful crime time hour by talking about some unsolved gun crimes. 
All right, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break because I've been talking for 31 minutes straight. Coming up next here on our first episode of Crime Time Hour, I'll talk about some recent shootings in America that have been solved. We'll talk about the Columbine High School shooting from 1999. We'll talk about the Virginia Tech shooting from 2007. We'll talk about the Trayvon Martin shooting from 2012. We'll talk about the movie theater shooting from uh, Araya in 2012. And we'll talk about the Sandy Hook shooting in 2012, and much more. So we've got plenty more shootings to talk about as this show continues tonight on the Ace Network. This commercial break is being, is being brought to you by our paying fish-keeping friends. Without them, our show would not be premium today. So this commercial break is being brought to you by Akari Sales USA, SK International Aquarium Supply, School of Fish, Inc., Itchaban Tropical Fish, North Texas Holy Rock, and Freshwater Fish Freaks, an online Facebook fish group for all of our fish-keeping friends. So stick around, folks, and you guys can go ahead and call in at 1-347-989-8142 and discuss your thoughts on shootings. We're back with more after a word from our sponsors. Hikari offers a wide selection of aquatic diets to help you and your fishy friend find success. With more than 137 years of aquatic experience, Hikari was the originator of species-specific diets long before others thought it was important or trendy, and the first to bring unique products to fish keepers like algae wafers, the world's first diet specifically formulated for Picosinus, micropellets, the world's first micro-coated aquatic diet for tropical fish, Saki Ikari, the world's first probiotic-enhanced diet for koi, goldfish, cichlid, and now turtles, and Biopure, the world's cleanest and most nutrition-packed frozen and freeze-dried foods, industry trendsetters when they were first introduced. When you're looking for the best aquatic diets your hard-earned money can buy for your aquatic pets, look no further than Hikari. Your fish and your wallet will be forever grateful. ST International Cram Supply is a proud sponsor of the Aquatic Wetline Podcast as heard here live on the ACE Network. ST International offers aquarists a variety of fine aquarium products, including filters, heaters, aquarium feeders for your fish. We offer the best planted aquarium equipment on the market today. You can even become a member of our website and receive discounts on our products, anywhere from 5 to 20% off. So come check out ST International Aquarium Supply at www.st.international.com or call us for more information at 1-800-900-8288 For orders over $175 ST International will ship your order to you for free So come check out ST International today
School of Fish, Inc. offers everything an aquarium hobbyist in western Massachusetts needs. We offer the best of livestock from freshwater to saltwater and everything in between. We also have the best corals and live rock. School of Fish, Inc. carries the best brands of fish food, medications, and equipment such as Hikari, Tetra, Marineland, API, and much more. Stop by and check us out today. School of Fish, Inc. located at 1865 Page Boulevard, Springfield, Massachusetts. And we can be reached at 413-543-1994. We're open Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Closed Tuesdays. Check out School of Fish, Inc. That's School of Fish, I-N see on Facebook for exclusive deals, specials, and see what's new. It's your band, Tropical Fish. is proud to partner with the Aquatic Wetline Online Radio. Ichiban Tropical Fish brings to you exotic and rare tropical fish shipped straight to your door. Stingrays, noise, peacock bass, arowanas, and much more. If you are into rare and exotic fish, we have the fish just for you. For more information, check out our website, itchabantropical.com, and also check us out on Monster Fish Keepers, Ichiban Tropical Fish. North Texas Holy Rock, providing the world the finest Holy Rock, one rock at a time. Satisfaction guaranteed. Whether you're looking for a small, single piece, or 200 pounds to set up your first MB Una tank. North Texas Holy Rock can provide you what you need. You will not find a company that offers the same level of customer service or an owner who truly enjoys setting up your tank as if it were his own. North Texas Holy Rock also offers all related aquarium supplies and accessories. Find us on the web at ntholyrock.com. That's N-T-H-O-L-E-Y-R-O-C-K.com. North Texas Holy Rock. Hey, calling all you freshwater fish lovers. Are you on Facebook right now? I bet you are. Come check out the wonderful group called Freshwater Fish which has over 2,000 freshwater fish for you. Whatever you see, Now tuned back into the Alex Cardinelli Show, live with your host, Alex Cardinelli. We hope you enjoyed our nice music and commercial break and are ready for some fun discussion. What is Alex going to chat about now? Get involved with social media and tweet your thoughts on tonight's topic. Tweet to at Alex Cardinelli 1, capital A in Alex and C in Cardinelli. Now let's get back to the action. Here's Alex live from the Blog Talk Radio Studio in Springfield, Massachusetts.
Okay, we are back here live on Crime Time Hour, live exclusively on the Alice Carnelli Show on East Network. And today we are talking about the famous shootings in the United States of America. And we're having a, fun, a fine time and a fun time so far here on this fine Friday evening. Now, I'm really enjoying this series so far. Hopefully you guys are as well. Now, before commercial break, we were talking about some of the unsolved shootings that have never, ever been solved yet. And I know a lot of you listeners are eager to find out more about those unsolved shootings. However, I am going to be doing a full episode on every single one of those unsolved shootings in the very near future. So I'll be doing episodes on some of the unsolved shootings right here on the Ace Network's Crime Time Hour, so stay tuned for that. I just wanted to uh, talk briefly about some of the unsolved shootings that took place right here in the United States of America. Now we are getting ready to start talking about some of the solved, some of the solved shootings that took place over the last few years here in the United States. These are not really that old. Some of them may be... Um, 10 or so years old. Some of them are going to be really recent. So these are not really that old. The only older one that I'm going to talk about is Columbine High School shooting in a couple minutes here on our first episode of Crime Time Hour. Now, you're welcome to call in at 1-347-989-8142 and offer your thoughts on any of these shootings that I'm going to go ahead and discuss. That's one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two, and I'd be honored to hear from you. As I love getting live callers here on the Alex Cardinelli Show on Ace Network. All right, so let's get back to our topic for tonight. We'll start talking about some of the recent shootings that have been solved, and we'll start with the Columbine High School shooting in 1999. The suspects for the Columbine shooting is Eric Harris and Dylan Clybold. And the shooting took place on April 20th, 1999. Wow, I was only six years old during that time, believe it or not. So very, very tough. Imagine uh, seeing that on the news as a six-year-old, as a six-year-old, seeing a whole bunch of high schoolers die. But at the time, I really didn't, did not know what a high schooler was being at six years old. The time of the shooting took place, 11.19 a.m. to 12.08 p.m., and their target were students and faculty at Combine High School. There were 15 people dead after the shooting, and including both suspects as they committed suicide after killing 15 other people. And there were 24 non-fatal injuries, 21 were by gunfire. So this is pretty much one of the biggest high school shootings in the United States of America. Matter of fact, it was the biggest school shooting until 2012 when Sandy Hook took place. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes here on Crime Time Hour. Now, they went into their, their school's parking lot at around 11 o'clock a.m., 11 o'clock a.m., planning on how they're going to commit all those suicides and shoot people and kill people. The original plan was to actually have a bomb in the kitchen or, the, or in the cafeteria, and they actually wanted to bomb 
the cafeteria and get everyone out of there, and then they, would, then they were going to fire at people leaving the cafeteria. However, the bombs they set fail, failed to explode, and the two suspects, Eric and Dylan, ran into the cafeteria, and they started opening fire, instantly killing two people. They then went down the west staircase and shot three more people. They then shot three more people, but all three were wounded and were and, and they would survive the attack. Several more people would be shot as they moved their way through the school, which is very, very sad. Now, they actually did have the balls to shoot one teacher, one teacher who, by the way, was named Mr. Dave Saunders, tried to intervene and save kids, but eventually Eric and Dylan shot him, and eventually Mr. Dave Saunders died due to blood loss, which is very, very sad. And it is really sad to see people get killed over stupid things. There really is no motive for this attack, as I found in my, in my research. Now, at 11.22 in the morning, police were dispatched as the one officer who worked at the school was on lunch break, and he was informed there were shooters in the building, so he called for backup. Now, in my research, it says a lot of the killings took place in the library, so it could be very true. Now, they eventually moved to the library, and... In my research, it says they demanded for everyone to get up, and it says it was heard in a 911 recording as a teacher was on the phone with police hiding in a library closet. When nobody got up or responded, they began firing. They shot at computers, which killed people hiding underneath. Ten people were killed in the library, and 12 were seriously wounded. Of those who were wounded, they pretended to be dead until they were rescued. Get this, guys. Four hours later, it's a long time to be waiting for someone to rescue you. Now, the two would eventually commit suicide, and they committed suicide at 12.08 p.m. as they heard police and SWAT teams entering the school. So as soon as they heard police and SWAT teams entering the school, they did the cowardly thing, and they committed suicide. But... I really don't understand this case. What is the motive for going into a high school that you're a part of and committing suicide and killing 15 people, killing a teacher, and injuring so many other people? I just don't get why they did that. They probably had um, some depression going on, and they may have been upset at some people, but definitely for sure they had some mental issues going on upstairs. It really is a unique case, um, and it's one that I definitely don't understand at all, but it's one of the most famous cases in the United States of America for a reason, and that is because it was the very first school shooting to ever become popular in the United States of America, and it lasted for quite a while. It lasted all the way until 2012 when the Sandy Hook shooting took place. So a very, very difficult uh, shooting in 1999 to deal with because uh, right around that time of the shooting, people were getting ready to graduate. There was a lot of seniors getting ready to graduate, and some of these seniors got their life taken away from them by two idiots with guns. So it really was a very, very sad time for people in 1999. So my thoughts and prayers go out to everyone 
from the Columbine shooting tragedy from 1999. Very, very sad. All right? So that was our first popular shootings that we're going to talk about tonight on the Ace Network. You guys can, of course, go ahead and call in and share your thoughts on that. My thoughts on this case is that I definitely think it's one of the uh, weirdest cases I've ever researched, and it's definitely one that is uh, crazy, in my opinion. But that's all I can say for that, because I was not old enough to know anything at that age, and I really can't remember anything, even hearing about that case as a six years old. All right, now moving on down to one that took place fairly uh, fairly recently, uh, about eight years ago, and it is the Virginia Tech shooting. And the suspect for this case is a weird Asian name, Seung Hu Chu. And this was April 16th, 2007. And this is a weird time to begin shooting at people, but the attack started at 7.15 in the morning, and it lasted until 9.51 a.m. This was a school shooting, a mass murder, and a murder-suicide. And get this one. This is the most, one of the most popular ones. Uh, there were 33 people that died during the shooting, and uh, one of those 33 people that died was the perpetrator. He committed suicide after killing 33 poor people. And the non-fatal injuries, there were 23 of those that were not really uh, injured or not seriously injured. 17 of those were by gunfire. So can you imagine that, someone killing 33 people and injuring 23, and 17 uh, of those were by gunfire. Now, most of the shootings would take place inside the college, but the shootings first started in his own dorm, which I believe was the West Ambler Johnston Hall, and he killed two pupils there. And the second where he had most of the killings, that, was, that would be where the other 31 deaths were, was at the Norris Hall. And he actually committed suicide at the Norris Hall, as well as killing 31 people there. So a very, very sad case. And I was actually in middle school during this case, and I remember saying, holy shit, why Why is this happening? Why are people going around killing over 30 people and things of that nature? And I was actually uh, in social studies class, and we were talking about some of the famous wars and things. And we actually thought it was kind of a war of how this person killed 33 people. And the teacher was explaining this case to us and how people should not have guns in schools and such. So it was definitely a weird and unsurreal moment during its attack, especially since I was in uh, sixth grade, I believe, at the time of the attack. I might have been in seventh grade, but I think I was in sixth grade there. So um, after killing 31 people in the, Nor- in the Norris Hall and then the two others in the other hall, the suspect would eventually drive to NBC News with writings and video recordings how crazy is that? That is definitely, definitely crazy. I'm not sure what exactly he sent to NBC News, but I'm guessing it was probably a bomb threat or something of that uh, nature. And that is 
Um, definitely, definitely very, very gravy. Now, about two hours after the first shootings, he entered the Norris Hall, which houses the engineering, science, and mechanics program, among others. And he chained the three doors shut, preventing people from escaping, which is very, very sad. And at that time, after he had locked the doors, he had began to shot students and faculty on the second floor, and he actually killed many people that way because they were unable to escape the doors. Now, he told people there was a bomb inside the school, but no one ever called in a bomb threat. How stupid is that? If you have someone going around shooting people and they tell you they got a bomb, why wouldn't you call a bomb threat? Why wouldn't you call the police? That's stupid in uh, my personal opinion. Now, within one or two minutes of the first shots in the North Hall, the first call to 911 was received. Many more people would be shot and killed or injured in the North Hall. Approximately 10 to 12 minutes after the second attack began, Cho shot himself in his right temple with the Glock 19. He died in the Jocelyn Contier Nawak Intermediate French Class, Room 211. So what an idiot committing all those murderers and then committing suicide. So my thoughts and reaction to this case was this is definitely a crazy case to research. It has a lot of information, but more specifically, uh, what this case reminds me of is some very mental and very ill person in the head that had issues for whatever reason and decided to take care of those issues. He was going to commit mass murder and commit suicide and cause a world of hate for everyone. And it is definitely one of the saddest cases in the United States of America. So my thoughts and prayers are with the friends and families of everyone that lost their life in the Virginia Tech shooting way back in 2007. It's definitely something that is very stupid and should have never, ever happened. But, hey, that's the past, and we can't change the past. All we can do is hope that it will never happen again. Okay? And that was the Virginia Tech shooting. All right. Now, moving on down to recent years, three years ago, we have the Trayvon Martin shooting, and the suspect in this case is George Zimmerman. This took place on February 26, 2012, and it started at 7.09 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And at 7.16 p.m., there was a gunshot on a 911 taped recording call. At 7.17 p.m., a police car arrives. And at 7.30 p.m., Trayvon Martin is declared dead. And Trayvon Martin would officially be a victim, and he would pass away. But George Zimmerman, the suspect, would suffer some injuries. He, of course, suffered a fractured nose, lacerations to the back of the head, and abrasions on his head um, from a supposed fight. But here's the thing. This is where it gets controversial. He actually stalked Trayvon Martin. He followed him from a gas station, believing that he was up to something no good. 
Um, that is the biggest mistake you ever want to do. You never want to follow someone just because you think they're up to no good. You're not a police officer. You don't put yourself in harm's way that way. This poor kid, this this 18-year-old Trayvon Martin, lost his life because someone thought he was a police officer going after him, thinking he's doing nothing wrong. But all Trayvon Martin did was buy Skittles and iced tea from a gas station and walk to his house or his father's house. So there really is no reason for this incident to ever take place, just George Zimmerman thinking he owns the city when, in fact, he owns nothing. As the city, but as you know, George Zimmerman would later uh, make a whole bunch of stories up to the police and things of that nature. Um, he's actually been in the news recently. He's been doing some other uh, criminal acts as well. And I personally think that Trayvon Martin is innocent. Even three years later, I think Trayvon Martin is innocent. But that is my personal opinion, and I feel Trayvon Martin should be alive right now, and he should be graduated already if it wasn't for that scumbag George Zimmerman. Um, unfortunately, he had a gun, and he felt that the gun controlled him and would save him from a fight with Trayvon, and he ended up taking Trayvon's life, on, uh, unfortunately. So a supposed fight breaks out after George Zimmerman stalks Trayvon, and I guess Trayvon would uh, hit George Zimmerman in the head, injuring him and causing cuts on his head. But uh, George Zimmerman would shoot Trayvon, killing him instantly, unfortunately. But here's the thing that I don't understand about this. If the police dispatch and the police told George Zimmerman not to pursue going after Trayvon Martin, why would he go after Trayvon? He was looking for trouble. I personally think he was out to do murder that day. I think he was a racist, no good son of a bitch, and he wanted to commit murder, thinking he was going to rid the world of a bad person. But all he did was make himself look like a fool. Because he was a person that believed stereotypes, and he thought just because um, Trayvon was walking that he was doing something stereotypical, which I personally think is total uh, bullcrap. Like I said earlier, I think Trayvon was totally innocent in this case. I said that back in 2012. I said that in 2013, and now I'm saying in 2015. I personally believe that Trayvon Martin is still innocent, and he should still be here living with us in, in the great state of Florida, but unfortunately he's not because of the actions of George Zimmerman. But we can't change the past, so unfortunately he's not with us. And this actually got several media attention. It got a lot of media attention for years. I remember we were still talking about this case in 2014, and it was a big, 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 big court case. But eventually George Zimmerman would be uh, free from this case and not have anything to deal with this case anymore. And I think it's a good misuse of justice, in uh, my personal opinion. And I was around Trayvon Martin's age when he was killed in 2012. You know what? It actually saddened me to hear someone my age was killed by someone who was being such an asshole and being so stereotypical and not following police orders, going after someone. Sure, if I was Trayvon Martin, if I saw some big fat slob going after me, I'd punch him in the face too, and I'd, I'd fight him too. 
I don't think uh, Trayvon Martin was wrong for starting a fight with George Zimmerman because if some guy was approaching me and he looked like a, a, a shady person, I'd probably punch him in the face too. That's just a natural instinct for a person. If someone is stalking them or if they think someone is going to cause harm on that person. But that's a lot of controversy, and that actually would be a pretty good show on the case of Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman. And I and I uh, look forward to talking about that. I have someone that is interested in sharing his thoughts and his opinions on that case, and I'm actually going to bring him as a guest on the show at some point because he actually lives in Florida. He lives in the same city where Trayvon Martin and the George Irwin case took place. And I actually want to hear his opinion on this matter, so I actually look forward to that. So what are your thoughts on the Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman case? Because that's a recent event, and I know that a lot of people have strong feelings about that. So please go ahead and call in at one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two and let us know. All right, moving on down to another recent shooting. And it seems that a lot of shootings took place in 2012. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, 2012 was a big shooting year for the United States of America. And this shooting took place in Aurora, Colorado, and it took place at a movie theater. And the suspect was James Holmes, who was in custody, and actually his trial is still ongoing, I believe. I haven't been following the James Holmes case for the last couple of months, but I do believe that he's in custody now, and I think he's actually on trial, just waiting to be sentenced for whatever, uh, whatever they're going to give him, but I think he is on trial now. The date of this uh, crime was July 20th, 2012. It was at 12.30 in the morning at 12, to 12.45 in the morning. So it started at 12.38 and ended at 12.45 in the morning. It was during the screening of a brand-new Batman movie in 2012. There were 12 people that died in this case, and there were 70 people that had not, not too serious of injuries. So 70 people were injured unfortunately, and of those 70, 58 of them were from gunfire, four were from tear gas, and eight were from fleeing accidents. Very, very sad case. A dozen people lost their life because of some person who, for whatever reason, decided it would be cool to go into a movie theater with some gas canisters, place the gas canisters down, so that people couldn't breathe and their eyes would get irritated. And then they began firing and killing a lot of people and injuring a lot of people. The shooting occurred in Cedar 9 at the Century 16 Multiplex, which is operated by Cinemark, located at the town center at the Aurora Shopping Mall. You know what makes it really scary for me, thinking about this case, is my local movie theater is in my local mall, and it's operated by Cinemark. Think about that in my shoes. That is kind of scary because just three years ago at a movie theater in Colorado operated by Cinemark and a movie theater in a shopping mall, it is kind of scary to think about that. But I'm a person that usually thinks about negative things like that anyways. But police said that the shooter, James Holmes, 
bought a ticket, entered the theater, and sat in the front row. And about 20 minutes into the film, like I said, he left the building through an emergency exit door, and he, he came back dressed in dark tactical clothing with a gas canister, and the canister had deadly gas in it that was going to make your skin and your throat itch and burn, and it's going to make your eyes irritate. So what he basically did was weaken everyone in that theater so that they'd be easy pickings for shooting. And that is how he injured and killed so many people within five minutes, or not even five minutes. 1238 to 1245, a dozen people were killed and 70 people were injured. This is a very, very fast crime. Just think about that. It could take you anywhere from two minutes to five minutes to lose your life. So always be careful of going out at midnight especially. And actually, he was kind of hard to arrest because he was dressed in dark, tactical clothing. And police mistaken him uh, for a police officer, but he was able to be arrested. A lot of people, the survivors that survived the attack, actually thought it was a part of the movie. They thought it was a stuntman from Batman, or they thought it was a prank by someone. But unfortunately, it was not a stuntman, and most definitely, it was not a prank. And if it was a prank, it's certainly an evil prank. But sadly, it is not a prank, unfortunately. And it's sad so many people had to uh, lose their lives. So my thoughts on this case were... Okay, sorry about that. My phone got disconnected really quick. So my thoughts on this case was that it was a rather um, scary moment for those people involved in the Aurora movie theater shooting. It was definitely something you don't hear about every day. It's something that was bizarre, and it, it worries me every single time I go to a movie theater now. I have to worry about someone pulling out a gun and shooting but we have high security and high police officers in our area, so if that were to happen, I don't think it would be as high scale as the one in Colorado. But this case was definitely an eye-opener for me. It proved how dangerous the world is now, and everyone's always going to remember this because there was a lot of young people that lost their lives in this case. I think there was a four-month-old son uh, and a father that were killed in this this act in, in this uh, tragedy, and there were um, there was also a two-year-old daughter that was killed in this case. So a lot of young people lost their lives for no reason at all. So those are my thoughts on the uh, movie theater shooting from 2012 in um, Colorado. All right. Now, we go from one sad case to an extremely sad case, and I actually did not want to talk about this for for a longest time, but I figured it's a, uh, a very popular but very sad case in the United States of America, and that is the Sandy Hook shooting. And the suspect for this case was Adam Peter Lanza. The date of the attack was December 14, 2012, the time of the attack was 9.35 a.m. to 9.40 a.m., and the target was student and staff at Sandy Hook Elementary School. It was a school shooting, a mass murder, and a murder-suicide. And here's the sad part. 
There were 28 people dead, 27 at the school, including a suspect, and get this, including the suspect's mother and some young children. Who would kill young children? This is a very sad case for me, and it's hard to keep my emotions together because I like young children, and a lot of young children were killed, especially around Christmas time. And we all know that kids love Christmas, and for me it was a very personal case because I felt very sad for all those kids that died because someone who was mentally ill was able to get a gun. And I think it was terrible, and I I actually am firmly behind. I was actually firmly behind the uh, gun debaters during the time of the shooting two three years ago. But it was a very very sad crime. Now police believe sometime before 9:30 a.m. on Friday, December 14, 2012, Adam Lanza shot and killed his mother Nancy Lanza, who was 52 years old, at their Newtown home. They believe they shot. They believe he shot her because she would not give her, him hit her gun. Now Lanza would drive to Sandy Hook Elementary School, and he shot his way through a glass panel next to the locked furniture stores of the school. He was wearing black clothing, yellow earplugs, sunglasses, an olive green utility vest, and was carrying magazines for the rifle. Now, on the intercom, those who survived the attacks say they can remember hearing initial gunshots on the intercom, which is being used for the morning announcements. Principal Don Hartsprung and school psychologist Mary Sherlock were meeting with other faculty members when they heard but did not recognize gunshots. Mrs. Don Hartsprung Sherlock and lead teacher Natalie Heyman went into the hall to determine the source of the sounds and encounter Lanza. A faculty member who was at the meeting said that the three women called out shooter, stay put, which alerted their colleagues to the danger and saved their lives. Now, a teacher hiding in the mass lab heard school janitor Rick Thorn yell, put the gun down. An aide heard gunshots, but Thorne survived. Lanza killed both the principal, Hoshprong, and Sherlock. Hamid was hit, was hit first in the leg and then sustained another gun wound. She later crawled into the hallway and then, not hearing any more noise, crawled back to the conference room and pressed her, her body against the door to keep it closed. Now, sadly... Lanza would enter a first-grade classroom where the teacher, Lauren Rossu, a substitute teacher, had herded her first-grade students to the back of the room and was trying to hide them in a bathroom where Lanza forced his way into the classroom and killed the teacher and a behavioral therapist who was in there and 14 of the children. Very, very sad. All of the students in the classroom were were very, very killed. And that's very sad for me to say because, as I said earlier, I like kids. Fourteen of the children were dead at the scene, and one injured child was taken to the hospital for treatment, but he would later on be declared dead, which is very, very sad. Most of the teachers and students were found crowded together in the bathroom. 
There was one survivor, a six-year-old girl. The sole survivor was found by police in the classroom following the shooting. Lanza would then go to another first-grade classroom nearby, and that classroom was taught by Victoria Lee Soto, and she had concealed some of the students in a closet or a bathroom, and some of the other students were hiding under desk. Soto was walking back to the classroom door to lock it when Lanza entered the classroom. Lanza walked to the back of the classroom, saw the children under the desk, and shot them. First grader Jesse Lewis shouted at his classmates to run for safety, which several of them did. Lewis was looking at Lanza when Lanza fatally shot and killed him. How sad. Soto and four children were found dead in the classroom. Soto north to the north wall of the room with a set of keys nearby. One child was taken to the hospital but was pronounced dead. Six surviving children from the class and a school bus driver took refuge at a nearby home. According to the official report released by the state attorney, nine children ran, ran from Soda's classroom and survived, while two children were found by police hiding in a classroom bathroom. In all, 11 children from Soda's classroom survived. Five of Soto's students were killed. Adam Lanza then committed suicide as he heard police and SWAT teams enter the school. So just like the Columbine high school shooting, as soon as they hear police and SWAT team entering schools, they commit suicide, which is very stupid. It's a coward move, in my personal opinion, very, very dumb. And this was a very, very hard shooting tragedy to see on television because so many young kids and so many people lost their lives. And it was around Christmas time, which makes even more things more difficult. And the Christmas of 2012 was a hard Christmas because I live in New England. Um, Connecticut is not too far from me. So it was very sad for that fact alone that so many kids lost their life in Newtown, Connecticut, due to some person that was able to get a gun and able to kill so many kids. So my thoughts in this case is that's a very sad and tragic case. So many young kids lost their life, and I just wish this case never happened and these kids would still be alive. But unfortunately, we can't change the past, and it happened, and uh, it's very, very sad. So my thoughts and prayers are with all those young kids who can no longer live a full life and become great adults and have great careers. It's a very, very tragic case, and my thoughts and prayers are with everyone who lost their lives on December 14, 2012, in the Sandy Hook shooting. All right. The last thing I want to talk about for today's show is the recent police shootings that have been taking place in 2014 and 2015, although I really don't want to offer my thoughts on them, because if I did, I'd have a lot of people hating me, and I don't need that right now. So I'm just going to tell you a few people who died from police shooting, and then the day I call it a day there. 
So some of the recent police shootings include Michael Brown, who was shot in 2014 in Ferguson, Missouri. And recently we had Freddie Gray and much, much more. I will do a show on the recent police shootings coming up here pretty soon on this Crime Time Hour. I actually love this series. This is a great show to get us started, and I definitely had so much fun talking about this stuff tonight, but also it's a very tragic thing to talk about because I really don't want to talk about things like this. It's very, very sad. You know, I'm kind of sad now just talking about the Sandy Hook shooting made me feel very sad on the inside once again, so I am uh, very sad about that. Now, the last thing I will talk about tonight is I do really think that there should be stricter laws on guns. I think that people who have mental issues or people who have, who have a background of violence or a background in the law who are criminals or former criminals, they should not be able to get a gun. That is my personal opinion. I think people who are violent, I think people who may have some sort of mental issue should not be able to get a gun. I think it needs to be really tough to get a gun. I'll be honest, I actually wanted a gun, but I'm lucky that my friends, Andy and Jeff, talked me out of getting a gun because I probably would have gotten in trouble with a gun. Guns are trouble. Guns cause people to die. You don't need to kill people. You will go to jail for shooting someone. You don't need a gun. My personal opinion is if you're not a hunter or you don't hunt or you don't um, do anything, you would need a gun, like hunting, where you're killing innocent animals. I don't think you need a gun. Because all you can do is call the police, and you can use other weapons if someone breaks in your house. Um, and that way you won't feel bad for killing someone if someone were to break in your house. But I'll save my thoughts on that topic exactly. Guns or no guns, that's going to be a good debate. I'll, I'll have a guest for that show. I'll find someone to come on my show and talk about guns or no guns, why they support people having guns or why they don't support people having guns. So I'll have people come on there and uh, talk about that here on this series. So what a great, great series this was. All right, I really enjoyed this show, and hopefully you guys did as well. I'm going to go ahead and take my final commercial break of the night and coming up next i'm going to have some radio show announcements that are very important you must hear these announcements if you are a big fan of the ace network so stick around because i've got some major announcements coming up so this commercial break is being sponsored by our non-paying sponsors by our wonderful sponsors. One of them is a paying sponsor, and that is Cheesecakes by Design. And then we've got Jambox, and we've got another personal podcast of mine that I like. Well, I should say, a personal favorite podcast of mine. Sorry about that, Andy. It's Andy's podcast. I made a mistake. But a personal favorite podcast of mine, Paranormal Hour on Dakota Network, which is actually going to air tonight at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 p.m. Pacific, uh, 9.30 p.m. Central, and he's got some wonderful guests coming on. I'm going to take a listen to that show, so I recommend all my listeners take a listen to that great show and all of our other wonderful sponsors. So we'll be right back to finish this great show, folks. Stick around. Are you looking for something creamy, moist, and decadent in your life? Do you have a sweet tooth? Well, cheesecakes are the answer for you. 
Cheesecake by Design offers you a wide variety of cheesecakes and some wonderful flavors. At Cheesecake by Design, you will find a flavor just for you. Whatever it be, a red velvet cheesecake, a strawberry cheesecake, or a cookies and cream cheesecake. We have tons of flavors to fit your needs. We ship fresh cheesecakes all over the United States straight to your door. So next time you're hosting a party, a family get-together, or a cookout, and you need dessert, order a delicious, moist, creamy cheesecake from Cheesecake by Design. Our cheesecakes are always homemade and made with the freshest possible ingredients. Check out our website and call 336-525-5120 with any questions or to place an order. Choosing guitar accessories can be expensive and time-consuming, but it doesn't have to be. Jambox will deliver the necessities right to your front door. Jambox is great for players of any age and all experience levels. Try new brands, new products, and get your jam on. Order a Jambox today at www.jamboxcanada.ca. Are you interested in the paranormal? Do you find it interesting when people tell ghost stories or tell you stories about things that have happened to them that they cannot explain? Then, if you are, join me, Andrew J., on the Dakota Network as I interview paranormal investigators, cryptozoologists, and everything paranormal. You won't be disappointed. So please feel free to come over to the Dakota Network. That's Dakota Network on Blog Talk Radio. And listen to me live as I interview these interesting people. I will have paranormal investigators on there that are going to share EVPs. They're going to talk about some of the more interesting stories they have. So please, come over and check me out. You won't be disappointed. And thank you for your time. Discover Romanian business opportunities. Our TV show offers free information about domestic entrepreneurial environment, interviews, and more. Don't miss it. Here at Kimsell Federal Credit Union, we offer a free mobile banking app, no ATM fees, free online banking, and free bill pay, all for your convenience. Visit us online at www.kimsell.org. That's www.chemcel.org. Visit our local branch at 1901 South Highway 77 in Kingsville, Texas, or call us at 361-592-7767. Kimsell Federal Credit Union, we're here for you. Member NCUA. The Seidman Cancer Center is committed to improving the health of our community and has developed a program called Eight Ways to Prevent Cancer. By making these eight simple lifestyle changes, you can help reduce your risk of getting cancer, maintain a healthy weight, exercise regularly, eat a healthy diet, don't smoke, drink alcohol in moderation, protect yourself from the sun and STDs, and get regular screening tests. Take control of your health. Visit the Seidman Cancer Center exhibit for more information. Seidman Cancer Center, national leaders in cancer. Do you enjoy listening to Ace Network? Do you want to know more about Ace Network? Then join our Facebook group called 
Ace Network Fan Group. In this group, you can post your thoughts on today's show. You can post your thoughts on anything aquarium-related, cooking-related, sports, WWE-related, anything PG-13. So the next time you're on Facebook, search for the Ace Network Fan Group. Click Join. You can also friend Alex Cardinelli on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at AlexCardinelli1. And don't forget, our show page is blogtalk.com forward slash Alex Card Network. And please, enjoy our shows. Okay, we're back here live on the Ace Network. And today we're doing the Alex Cardinelli Show's brand new series, Crime Time Hour. And i got to say, I really enjoyed this show, and I think this may be one of my personal favorite series here on the Ace Network. So thank you guys for listening to this show. Now, before I end the show, i got a couple of announcements that I would like to make. Now, the Ace Network has some brand-new series. That's right, we've got some brand-new series here on the Ace Network. Just last night, we debuted our first new series, Friendship Hour, where I talk about anything and everything friendship. And today, I debuted Crime Time Hour to a major success. And pretty soon, I'll be doing movie reviews. I'll be doing some movie reviews for brand-new movies because I go see uh, movies a lot. I'm planning on going to the movie theater tomorrow or Sunday, hopefully. I'll be doing food and beverage reviews because I love to eat, as you guys can tell. Uh, So I'll have plenty of food reviews. I am going to have my own personal sports show. I know that we have the Mad Scientist Sports Lab here on Ace Network. I want to do my own sports show that focuses on the New York Yankees baseball and things of that nature and definitely the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I will have shows dedicated to both sports and the Yankees and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I look forward to that. I'll probably do the Buccaneers show closer to football time, and I'll be starting the Yankees radio show pretty soon here on Ace Network. And finally, I'll be doing news show. I'm not exactly sure when I'll be starting a new show because the new show kind of makes you uh, have to be in touch with all the current news. And certainly at this point in my life right now, I don't follow news all the time. But uh, I will be doing that in the meantime. So those are all the new series that are going to be debuting on the Ace Network and sometime at uh, – some point there'll be some new series for the aquatic wetline coming up. I'm not sure when, uh, but there'll be some uh, definitely uh, some new series coming up for the aquatic wetline. One of the ori- actually the original freshwater fishkeeping podcast on Blog Talk Radio. So again, our new series are Friendship Hour, Crime Time Hour, uh, Movie Review, Food Review, Sports Show. And new show. Now, I forgot to tell you guys this last night. The Ace Network now has a new schedule. Instead of broadcasting every weekend, we're going to be broadcasting every other Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That way I get a full weekend off every now and then. So I'm going to be broadcasting every other weekend. So this is one of those weekends where I will be broadcasting. 
Today we have the Crime Time Hour. Tomorrow we have Saturday Night Main Event. And Sunday we have another new series debuting called uh, Sunday Fun Day, where it's just a general talk show where I'll talk about anything and everything and play music. So that's going to be pretty cool. So for you guys to remember, Ace Network is now going to be airing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and every other Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. By the way, Mondays are now going to be back to 8 p.m. Eastern instead of 5 p.m. Eastern now, okay? And one of my last and final announcements is be sure to check out Saturday Night Main Event live tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern, Saturday, May 9th, 2015, at 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on the ACE Network, we have our wonderful Saturday Night Main Event with my great co-host, Flashmaster1989, Jeff, we've got some great live pranks lined up, we've got some great 10 minutes of fame, and a lot of great comedy. You guys are going to love tomorrow's Saturday Night Main Event, I guarantee it. So make sure you tune in tomorrow live at 8 p.m. Eastern for our third episode of Saturday Night Main Event. And last but not least, our Crime Time Hour is going to be every other Friday. So it's not going to be a show that airs weekly, but it will air bi-weekly every other Friday. So our next Crime Time Hour is going to be on the famous robberies of the United States of America. Today we talked about the famous shootings, but next time, in two weeks, we're going to talk about the famous robberies of the United States of America. All right, that is going to do it for us tonight. Uh, Crime Time Hour, live right here on the Ace Network and the Alice Cardinelli Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, please copy and paste today's show URL on your Facebook, Twitter, and Google Plus account so that your friends and family can listen to this great show. Don't forget, you can find us on Stitcher and on iTunes and subscribe to us there as well. But be sure to subscribe to us right here on Blog Talk Radio so you can listen to all of our new and upcoming podcasts. And don't forget, that the ACE Network is also now on YouTube. I post all of my podcasts on YouTube, so you can listen to this podcast on YouTube as well. All right, guys, thank you for listening to today's episode of Crime Time Hour live right here on the ACE Network. Hope you guys had fun. Have a great weekend, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Alex Cardinelli Show on ACE Network. Have a great weekend. And thank you for tuning in. I'm Alice Cardinelli. Goodbye, peace out, sayonara, and good night. Thank you for listening to the Alex Cardinelli Show here on Ace Network. Alex hopes you enjoyed the show. Please check us out every Tuesday and Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern for our weekly talk show that will cover anything and everything. Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern for Chef George Morello Hour. Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern for our fun Saturday Night Live. And every other Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern for Cooking with Al Cardinelli, where you'll get tasty and delicious recipes. Share today's show on your Facebook, Twitter, and Google Plus account by copying and pasting our show URL to your account 
so that your friends can listen to our awesome talk show. Have a great night. Alex Perinelli's show on Ace is now off the air. And show. Podcast belongs to the Ace Network, Alice Cardinelli Entertainment Network. It may not be reused, redistributed without permission from Alice Cardinelli himself. This podcast was recorded live from the Springfield, Massachusetts studio and Ace Network. <laughs>